You're listening to Biz Quick. This is where Julie and Corey provide quick and useful information to small business owners. Biz Quick is the podcast where small business owners get to showcase their businesses and receive expert advice and guidance in areas many entrepreneurs struggle with. And you, the listener, get solutions, tips, and tricks on real-world topics that many small business owners face. Julie and Corey are the experts small businesses hire when they need solutions. And the BizQuick podcast is just one way they deliver those solutions. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to BizQuick. I'm Corey. And I'm Julie. And on today's show, we've got Ian Carlstrom from Fargo, North Dakota. He is an expert in the entrepreneurial operating system, also known as EOS or EOS from the book Traction. And he has created his own version designed to help small businesses. So those businesses kind of at or reaching towards $2 million in revenue. And he's he's designed his own light version of that. And we're going to talk to him in a little bit about that and growing leadership teams. But before then, Julie and I are going to jump into uh, what it is, in our opinion, to grow or build a strong leadership team. Love this conversation. I really do. Um, and I love that he built his own basic EO system um, just simply because a lot of small businesses can't afford to hire an EOS implementer and to really imp- to really implement EOS well, you want to use an implementer. So the fact that he's provided a solution for small businesses, that that's really um, nifty. I'm going to use the word nifty because I don't feel like we've ever used that on the podcast yeah, and, before. and he's from the Midwest, so I feel like I it's a Midwest word. <laughs> Is there ever a more Midwestern name than Carlstrom? I don't think I so. I have no idea. I'm from the East Coast, so. Uh, <laughs> okay. Leadership. Yeah, leadership. Yeah. And it's, uh, we've talked a lot in regards to building foundation for your business. Uh, we've talked about building a team, personal development, and all that. But I don't think we've talked about building a leadership team. And that's very, very important when it comes to growing a business, because as most of our listeners know who have ever owned a business or who have grown a business, you can't do everything all the time, especially when you get larger. So having a good group of people who you can trust and delegate to is critical so that you can get some sleep, take a vacation, be successful, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But how do we go about doing that, Julie? Well, I think you have to, it starts with hiring based on core values, right? So when you have your, your business and you've got that solid foundation and you've got core values in place, all of your hiring and firing should be done against core values, right? That's how I would start it. So if somebody's in an, in alignment with your core values, then they're at least going to be a good fit inside of the organization. And then I, I say you start either developing people into leadership roles, or if you're hiring into leadership roles, then you really need to understand what type of leader they are, how they lead others, and how they're going to mesh with with the rest of the leadership team. But uh, does that apply to everybody? Do the core values apply to everyone? So let me give you an example. Um, Let's say one of your core values as a business is to have fun. You like to have a fun, you know, we're going to have a ping pong table in the break room type of business. Uh, do you want that for your compliance officer or your C- you know, CFO? Like, I mean, do you want them to understand that having fun is important, but you know, when it comes to numbers, we shouldn't have fun with when we're, uh, you know, talking about the, the budget. Well, yeah, but I feel, and I, I don't know, I guess I feel like that's obvious, right? I feel like you want to have people that 
know how to have fun, but know when it's appropriate. And maybe, maybe we're giving too much credit to people, or maybe I'm giving too much credit to we people. We do that too, too often. <laughs> we get too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, but I, I feel like it should be, it should be obvious to, to you. Like, you know, if somebody's going to mesh with the core values of your company, right? You know, like if, listen, if I'm, com if I'm a compliance person and I like to, you know, smoke a J at lunch, do they still say smoke a J? No, they do not. Okay. <laughs> what do they call it then? Eat an edible? Sure. I don't know. You have a Scooby snack at lunch. Yeah. You should just stop there. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to stop. I don't know. Clearly I'm not cool in that way, but you know what you're looking for on that team as the, as the founder, the CEO that, you know, you're, you're the person at the, at the front of the, at the front of the ship, you know, if somebody is a good fit for your, for your team culturally based on core values. And I, I can tell, like, if you're going to be fun, like Corey, you're a perfect example. You're fun, but you're also you're not fun when it comes to the numbers, right? Like I, I know we're going to get straight answers on how we're doing financially with you. And I don't worry about our taxes not being filed or anything like that. But I also know that you know how to have fun and you've got that balance that works in there. And I feel like that's, that's sort of what, what I mean when I say you hire on core values. It's not everything is fun all the time, but you know how to have fun. You know, balance is important. True. I'm going to argue, well, not argue. I think that core values is super important. I think the the most important thing, and we've said this numerous times, but, uh, and it's something that I always need to work on is just communication, transparency, mm. being open with your leaders, being, providing as much information as you possibly can. Now you, you don't want to, you might not be able to share all of the details, but you should be able to share as much as you can and give an explanation why numbers are away or a policy is a reason, you know, the reason for the policy or, or whatever it is, um, you know, and having that communication and then extending that communication to the team, you know, so that you're, you're pushing information to your leaders and then they're pushing information out to their team. Yep. I, you know, we, we've advised, we've, we've worked with clients before in the past where we've told them, we've emphasized the importance of, transparency and, you know, clear, crisp communications and talking about if somebody, you know, wouldn't we remember when we used to host like, you know, well, in some places it would be coffee and conversations and other places it was cocktails and conversation, depending on yeah. the company. But when somebody asks a question, when you open up the floor and say, you know, let's do some Q and A, ask us your questions, we're going to answer them. And as a leader, you get a question that you don't want to answer, you have to be really transparent about what's about to happen next, right? So it's either great question. Thanks for asking that, Sandy. We can't answer that right now, but as soon as we can, I will. Or for some reason, leaders have this notion that it's not okay to, to say, I don't know, right? Like you, you should be comfortable being like, I don't know the answer to that today. I don't, I don't know. Right. If we're, if we're having financial struggles and I ask you a question about it and your response is, I don't, I don't know the answer to that today, but we'll figure it out. And when I know it, I'll tell you. And I think right there, we got to start wrapping it up here in a second, but I think that's the most important part. It's not knowing the answer is completely fine, but not saying, I don't know. And leaving it at that is not, I don't know, but 
I'll go find the answer or we'll know in a week or whatever. You don't want to leave people on the edge of their seats. You want to give them some sort of closure in terms of an answer to the question in the sense that I will get an answer later. I might not have it right now, but yeah. yeah. A strong leader knows, a strong leader is comfortable admitting they don't know something and being transparent about that. And if, if you can't admit that, then you've got some work to do as a leader. Yes. So let's go ahead and take a quick commercial break, and then we will bring Ian in to talk more about leadership. Hey, everyone. If you're like most entrepreneurs out there, time is not something you ever seem to have enough of. We get it. There are a million things that need your attention, both in business and in your personal life. That's why we created Time Bomb. This is a self-paced course designed to help you determine what your time is worth and where you should be spending those precious hours every day. Right now, we have an option to buy the bundle, which also includes products designed to help you become more efficient with your time. It's a $70 deal you're getting for only an additional $30. Head on over to sbpace.com to learn more. Time Bomb, take control of your calendar, gain control of your life. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We have Ian Karlstrom on, and he is going to talk to us about leadership, his approach to EOS, EOS, however you pronounce that, I don't know. And uh, we'll get into that. But first, Ian, tell us a little bit about you. How did you uh, get to where you are, develop your program, all that? Well, it all started back when I finished up my MBA. Uh, It was 2015. Uh, My wife and I thought we had a little kiddo at the time. Uh, he's, he's a little bigger now, but we thought we'd settle down. So we, we, we found a nice small town in northern Minnesota. Uh, and I got a job as a business advisor doing some really awesome stuff. Kind of hit the ground running with the EOS language, tools, book. And quickly, all of us in the organization became EOS implementers and got training from EOS. I worked... I worked with many clients within that structure, but also outside of that structure for the next uh, almost three years. Um, and I didn't take long, but I found out that the, the EOS structure was, was targeted at a much larger client than I was typically accustomed to working with. It was a small, you know, small rural area. Most of the businesses aren't necessarily two to 20 million or more. And so I, I did well with EOS, but finally the wife and I decided that we wanted to move back to where we went to school and uh, be closer to our friends and all that. So I, I knew through the EOS system, through the EOS um, courses and trainings that I was an implementer, an integrator, if you will. Um, and so I wasn't necessarily that visionary. So I was kind of looking to find some jobs in, in Fargo uh, being being that integrated role, kind of um, director of operations, if you will. So I got a couple of different jobs um, that ended up to be short term, but business operations manager, director of operations type roles. Um, but then a company restructuring, I was involved in a big layoff right before Christmas in 2018. And then, or no, that would have been 2018. Yeah, 2019. And so what I did is I basically, I knew that I wasn't going to get a job right before Christmas. So I decided I, I knew that I wanted to use my skill set with EOS, but I didn't, I no longer had my EOS credentials. And so I built a tool set that was much more uh, directly relevant to the clientele that I was seeking to work with. 
Um, I did that for about six months before I got recruited into my current role as a business advisor still, but um, I learned a lot of things and I still have this big old box on my shelf for small businesses that are really smaller than that $2 million mark. Oftentimes they have some employees, um, but they're really struggling to kind of hit over that, you know, they're kind of stuck in that spot. You know, there's, there's a lot of hurdles, a lot of challenges for a small business. So this really takes a lot of those core essentials from, you know, communication structures and meeting structures to tying the vision down to the goals, down to the weekly metrics, a lot of the same stuff that EOS does, but it's in every management book that you'll read about. And EOS even admits themselves that it's not original, it's just their, their language of it. Yeah, I think what, what I really appreciate, pre, appreciate, use your words, Julie, um, that you did was you took a, EOS is very, very popular, EOS, right? Is a, the book Traction, comes from the book Traction and it is a very popular concept um, we have worked in a couple of organizations, consulted for a couple of clients who use EOS and um, it's a great tool, but it's not built for those small business owners who are in those early stages of growth and haven't really hit that substantial, you know, hit significant levels yet, especially on the leadership side, because a lot of small business owners they're not, they don't have a big leadership team, right? It's one or two or three people at the most. And, and EOS is designed around a strong leadership team. If I, if I remember correctly, the concepts of it. That's right. That's right. And in my experience, the EOS clients that you would have, you would have them for no longer than 18 months. And let's just say the, the whole EOS toolkit, let's just say it contains about 20 tools those clients are going to get through a core eight, nine to 12 of them in the first six months. And they won't really get to the next 20 of them. And so although EOS claims to be simple, I simplified it even more. Get rid of the stuff that's not going to get used. Um, make something that's immediately helpful that it's it's simplified language that any any team of working people they can be a, a college team on a project or it could be a a business any team of working people has to have a core um fundamental skill set of how do we communicate what are our goals how are we measuring those goals what's the end vision and what's everyone's role in getting there and at the end of the day, I believe everything else is, is sort of fluff if you can't get through those five concepts really well. And you said uh, that you've gamified the approach. How exactly does that work? So what I like to do, I'm not a, maybe it's not a huge successful fun game, quote unquote, <laughs> if, if you will. But, you know, at the end of the day, every business that I've worked with has somewhat of a weekly meeting, whether they call it an ops meeting, staff meeting, sales meeting. I mean, they're there and they're rotten. Um, nobody loves them. So what I did is I tried to turn that space into a time when a team can come together and, and sort of have fun, right? While still covering those core concepts that they need to get through during that time. Um, and so I turned every person into a, a player, a role. 
And so now we can distinguish between individuals as humans and their roles in the company. And that later comes into play, which makes performance reviews and other things very helpful or very, very easy. But we kind of separate the people from the players, even though the people are the players, right? And we've turned essentially the vision, the goals and the metrics, we've turned those into the game. And so the game is what, what are our goals? That's the game. The greatest game is business. What's, what's, what's the end goal? What do we want to do? What are the goals that we're working on right now? And each player is kind of attached to a goal. It's their, it's their sort of token to move forth in the game. And then the kind of the weekly metrics or the weekly measuring, you know, every business is sort of is or, or should be has sort of a scorecard approach or, or a weekly number that they're hitting. And so those simply become kind of the momentum of the, of the game and the teams can make it as fun or as not fun as they want by, you know, adding rewards or adding milestones or adding any, any sorts of, of, uh, you know, motivating factors. Well, I'm going to go on record as saying, I love our team meetings, Corey. It's my favorite. It's my favorite part of the week is our team meetings. And, you know, a lot of times um, I have, you know, friends or people in my network that when they find out that Corey and I have like a three hour team meeting every Monday, they're like, there's just two of you. Why do you need three hours? And I'm like, because there's just two of us, right? So we have to cover literally everything in the business. And we walk through our weekly plan and the priorities and we look at the numbers and we look at our metrics and we do all of those things. Um, I would love to gamify that though and, you know, see how that works. But I have a question that goes to when you have a few more people on um, a leadership team and they're in those weekly meetings or even outside of the meetings where you've got the team, the members of the team that are somewhat pitted against each other, right? So it's not so much a game. Well, it kind of is, but it's more like warfare than it is like, you know, the game of life or sorry, right? Where it's people intentionally trying to sabotage other people on the leadership team. And I've seen this, I've seen it a lot inside of organizations. Do you have anything, um, any, any recommendations or anything that you have built into your system that, that helps alleviate that or address that? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a key, key thing for any leadership team is to have that cohesion. Um, one thing I learned through just general working with clients, um, something that's built into the whole traction and EOS system is really sort of a, a bit of heavy lifting up front, where you're bringing teams together in sometimes extended periods of time, up to a whole day together even. Um, but where you're really bringing those teams together um, in fleshing out the vision, fleshing out those issues and really getting transparent with each other what those are. And in my experience, even way before I got into EOS, I found that just getting some of those issues out in front of people, such as on a whiteboard, bullet pointing the issues and just getting it out there is really half the battle. If we can get those out there and keep them somewhere bring them back to that next team meeting until they until we resolve them or until they go away those are the kinds of transparent leadership teams that have to grow and, and build together they otherwise you know as as gino wickman puts it people aren't rowing in the same direction yep so, so that's question. that's essential uh, sorry 
Follow-up question, what do you do when it's the leader that is promoting the divisiveness on the team? Yeah, so a lot of, in my experience, a lot of that gets fleshed out pretty quickly when you're working to set the vision, kind of reverse engineer the goals down to the metrics. A lot of that gets fleshed out when, you're, when you start asking the question, you know, what's really important? What's going on? You know, what are the issues in getting there? And frankly, it'll get you fired as an advisor if the client's not willing to, to move through it. Because sooner or later, they just kind of sick of working with you. But a lot of times, um, you know, I think it's that advisor's role to really ask powerful questions to the leader and empower the team to be able to um, be transparent with each other about those things. Yeah, I um, I almost think that that firing would would be welcome, right? Where if if the if the leader is like, um, yeah, we're we don't this isn't working out. If I if if we're working with a, a client who's just unwilling to acknowledge their role in the chaos and the drama inside the organization, um, I think I would probably welcome being fired if before I walked away. Yeah, absolutely. And one one really powerful um, piece of of business um, that any team should do is, is sort of a, a core values exercise of any sort, really. You know, EOS has it, but anyone has it, but just really getting clear on the core values, but not just the core values, but how and what they mean to the organization. And that that is so powerful because you'll get some people that believe that, you know, quick and dirty and scrappy is the culture, while some believe in a more refined you know, prove it before you do it culture. And, and if you force those people to come together and say, what is our core value? They kind of have to move through that. Yeah. And you touched on transparency earlier, and that's something the communication is something that we talked about uh, in our opening to this podcast before we brought you on. And, and that's important. But one of the other things that I think is most important, and you've also kind of talked about that is the metrics. Because uh, for me, it's all about the numbers. You can't you can't manage a business and know, unless you know the numbers, and you can't create goals, track, et cetera, et cetera. So, how do you go about doing that? And I mean, how do you get people to, I, I don't know, adhere to those goals? Yeah. Well, what I find in in a lot of the clients that I work with is that they already have a core set of numbers that they're measuring. They already have something in place, which is typically measuring too late. And so they're measuring the end goal. And by the time they don't hit it, they don't necessarily know why it's there uh, or why it's missing, I should say. And, and so what I always like to do is, is, is talk about what can we measure that tells us something about something else that's important before we get there. I always like to use the drowning deaths and ice cream sales example. You want to prevent drowning deaths. You want to staff your lifeguards before they happen because you don't want to just wait till drowning deaths happen to, to start responding. But what are those indicators that tell you that a drowning is going to happen? That's it's impossible to know. Well, we could watch ice cream sales because if some street vendors out there selling ice cream like there's no tomorrow, probably means it's a hot sunny day and those people might be going to the beach swimming too. And so it's all in business. It's about what can you measure 
that tells you predictively about other things in the business. Um, so I always like to kind of reverse engineer the goal. What's the end goal? Reverse engineer the process of how do we get there? And so if leads is the end, or if, if sales is the end goal, we got to figure out how many leads and how many you know cold calls it takes to get there. Uh, it, it could become much more complicated depending on the business, but it's all about really challenging the team to come up with what are things that we can measure consistently I always tell people it doesn't have to be perfect measurement, but it has to be apples to apples. It has to be the same every week. Um, the metrics can change over time and should probably change over time, but we got to figure out something that we can put into place now. Um, and, and I don't want any person on the team to really ultimately have more than one in a perfect world. If we can get everybody on the team to have one number that they report to, um, back to the team every week. Um, typically, through the course of building trust and through the course of building transparency and letting people know that accountability doesn't mean that you're in trouble. Accountability is a good thing. You know, welcome that. We're going to show them that by hitting that number, it's going to be good for them, be good for the team. So it is a process to kind of build that trust, but it's also a process of having them believe and buy into the metric. Yeah, and I think that the important thing that you were touching on then in there is just really understanding the numbers and why they are what they are. Because a lot of times people would look at that ice cream sales and say, oh, ice cream sales are up. We better hire more lifeguards. And then you look at them, but you're in the middle of the desert. You know, you don't need to hire lifeguards. We need to think about something else. Like yeah, ice cream sales are up, but why are they up? You know, and what's that exactly. downstream effect? Yeah. So sometimes it's just a matter of getting a little bit more creative than just simply measuring that end goal. Otherwise, it's oftentimes too late comes too soon. You didn't hit the goal, but now you don't know why. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I, I kept thinking as you were talking through that example and the importance of the, you know, the measuring and the metrics and everybody has one number they should be like reporting against or working against week over week is that that concept of the concept of consistency, right? And doing, you know, taking action every day or every week, depending on the frequency in which you're doing it over and over and over again, that consistency is what really gets you traction inside of your business and being able to measure that and know, like, I know the actions that I take with being responsible for sales are important to what we're ultimately going to end up closing but if we only measure at that point of close, then we're missing all of the other data that feeds into it, which is what actions did I take? What was I doing with the pipeline? Where, what was I doing day over day over day to continue to keep people in the pipeline warm or build the pipeline up or, or grow sales? And it's all about that, the consistency and the actions, the small actions that you take every single day. Yep, and if you pick a couple of places along the pipeline to measure, you know, maybe cold calls, um, leads, closes, you know, and then delivered sales. If you're not hitting the delivered sales number, you might find out that you have a gap in your closing or somewhere after closing they fall off. And so you can get a little surgical if you find kind of more pain points with the business in that, in that process. Yeah, and it, it, understanding the process is, is such an important part. And just real quick, I, I've told this story before, but I, I had this lab when I was in college where I had to go do some cold calls for this hotel. 
And if you measured the number of calls that I made versus the success rate, the number of closes, you know, if you're measuring just the number of calls and you had some sort of metric of, oh, well, we, you know, we hit 2% or whatever, it was exactly 0%. It might be a negative number with me because I was not trying. I was not the right person. But again, that metric was pretty much worthless for me because I didn't care. I just needed to make 200 calls in the day. And that's all. That's all I had to do. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's good to understand the numbers and understand that process and, and why those numbers are what they are and making sure you have the right people in the right place because I'm not a person to make cold calls. He's barely a person to make warm calls. <laughs> I don't even like yeah, that negative percent there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, um, from a leadership and communications perspective, I just would love to hear your thoughts on the importance of that and how that, I know that's your first, that's the first one on your list is the communication piece. So can we talk a little bit about that? I'm very curious to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, that is so huge. Small business owners are wild. They're a wild bunch out there and a lot of them are visionaries, okay? And visionaries traditionally are hard at, at communicating well. They're all over the place. They have a thousand ideas and they execute on Corey's amount there, you know, 1% or negative percent of those ideas. They're all over the place. And so in my experience, when we can kind of harness, harness their, their, their skills of generating great ideas, pairing them up with the other skills of the team, the, the integrators, the implementers, the detail people, and if we can grasp onto just a small handful of those ideas and, and try to move forward together, rowing in the same direction, what we find is that, you know, if you look at a, a, a real estate property management group, right, they might have several hundred properties and they have many different positions throughout the organization from maintenance to house, clean, house cleaning to, you know, et cetera all the people in the business are at capacity, naturally, everyone is. And so as this business wants to grow to the next 100 or to get to 500 or 1,000 properties, everyone's already at capacity in the organization in their own mind. So how are we going to grow? And so to be able to communicate that this is the path that we're going, we're going to double over the course of the next two years. That means we need to do this, this, and that this year. That means we're going to focus on this, this quarter. That's a really powerful conversation to get everybody in the organization rowing in the same direction behind that visionary. And the visionary gets the benefit of, um, you know, typically they're like, man, I've said it a thousand times, but they don't listen. But now when we put a little structure around it, put a little, you know, weekly reinforcement around that with some metrics. I mean, that can become such a powerful factor in a business. Yeah, I, I can appreciate the, the description that you gave of the visionary. Um, saw a little bit of myself in there with all the ideas and I'm always wanting to like, let's go, let's do this, let's do this. And Corey's pretty good at reeling me back in and be like, nope, 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 we're, nope, let's, let's finish the thing we're working on right now. But I'm wondering for the people that are listening who are not familiar with the roles in EOS, can you just give the, the roles and a really short, short description because we're starting to bump up against time here, but I want to, I just want to hear the other roles. The other roles. So we got the visionary and the integrator. You want me to talk about those two? Yeah, are those the only two roles there those are? Two, really? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. So the visionary is typically that idea person. We have all met them. They're high energy, lots of ideas. They don't typically execute or follow up on their ideas well. Um, and typically when it comes to communication, in my experience, they can, they can sound unorganized because they're going a thousand miles an hour, right? They don't take a lot of they might take notes, but they aren't necessarily the person that's going to follow up on the notes without somebody saying, hey, I need you to follow up on the notes. Whereas the integrator tends to have a, a larger skill set in the details, detail oriented person. They are the ones that if you said something last week, they're going to ask you about it this week because they remember they haven't forgotten. Um, they're the they're the really good complementary skill set for kind of that leadership of a business because you've got um, a visionary without an integrator is like a dog without an or, or, or an integrator without a visionary is like a dog without an owner it you need you kind of needs that owner to to love and to to honor you know where a visionary without an integrator I often see spinning wheels a lot getting stuck because they 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 need that um integrator and the integrator needs the visionary interesting i see a little bit of both roles in both Corey and i um i don't know do you same or do you think it's more one of us is more one than the other i mean i there's definitely uh, yeah i mean there's definitely a little bit of each there's a good spread let's say yeah all right, well, we need to start wrapping up or to actually wrap up now. So um, Ian, this was really great. Can you tell our listeners how they can find you? I would say check out my website. That'll bring you to my contact me page. Feel free to reach out. That'll go directly to my email and I'd be happy to answer questions. All right, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciated the conversation. Enjoyed it very much and we have good news. Um, you, you did not suck because we went over on time. So good, good job there. Um, thanks to our listeners for tuning in and we're going to put Ian's information in our show notes so people can easily find, find him and, and connect with him and ask all the questions they have. And you can connect with us on social media. We've got our, uh, social media accounts out there, the LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel and you can find out about our entire business, find all of those links and everything on sbpace.com. And while you are out there, you can subscribe to our podcast. We would love it if you subscribed, liked us, and gave us a review. We are big fans of feedback. And you can reach out to us about any topics you might want us to cover. Or if you want to be a guest on the podcast, we've got a form on our site at sbpace.com and you can fill that out. And while you're on our website, click through to buy our book, Seriously, Now What? A Small Business Guide to Disaster Preparedness. It is a number one bestseller on Amazon. It has a digital workbook download that you can get from our site as well. And if you've already purchased it, please go out there and give us a review on Amazon. Every review, positive or negative, helps. I'm Julie. And I'm Corey. And this was BizQuick, helping small businesses across America.